You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Holly, they, them. I'm Megan, she, her. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join fan queers and theater professionals, me and Holly, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk, from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Please note this episode was recorded prior to the presidential election. Miss Anise Sheff is a singer, actress, producer, director, writer, and transgender activist. Born in Pune, India and relocating to the United States at an early age, she quickly found a passion for music. After receiving her BFA, she enjoyed the tour life, performing in various musicals, including the Broadway national tour of A.R. Rahman's Bombay Dreams as Sweetie in 2006. In 2008, Anish returned to New York University to pursue a master's degree in social work and dedicated her time throughout the next few years working with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth as a counselor with the Trevor Project and a patient advocate at Beth Israel Medical Center. After spending her life thus far in the Big Apple, she relocated to San Francisco in early 2010 and then to Seattle in 2013. She returned to the stage working with several regional companies including Playground SF, Playwrights Foundation, the Asian American Theater Company, Village Theater, and the Fifth Avenue Theater. Now residing back in her hometown of New York City, she is most notably known as Carly in the critically acclaimed public theater production of Southern Comfort, which garnered six nominations, two Lucille Lortel wins, and a New York Times critics pick. She has since returned to the public as part of their mobile unit, public studio, public forum, and Shakespeare Initiatives program, as well as added NYMF, NAMT, and Lincoln Center Theater Director's Lab to her resume. Anish made her network debut as a guest star in NBC's Thursday night sitcom Outsource and has since appeared in Hulu's Difficult People, HBO's High Maintenance, and NBC's New Amsterdam. She also had a cameo in IFC's A Kid Like Jake alongside Jim Parsons. She's currently a recurring guest star on Marvel's Jessica Jones on Netflix as Jillian, assistant to the titular character. Along with her work in theater, film, and television, she is an event host, trans activist, panelist, and committee member with many national organizations. 
In March 2013, Advocate Magazine honored Anish Seth on their 40 Under 40 list, and in January 2020, she became the recipient of the HRC Visibility Award in Cincinnati. Hi, Anish. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited. Uh, We usually have our guests start with their names, their pronouns, uh, and then whatever you want to share of how you identify. Sure. My name is Anish Sheth. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a trans woman, trans activist, singer, director, actress, producer, a whole bunch of things. (laughs) So talented. (laughs) Thanks. So yeah, you are all these things, singer, actor, producer, director, writer, uh, transgender activist. How do all those identities inform each other? And currently, are any of those identities taking a back seat so you can like dedicate more time for one or the other? Yeah. So I think um, for me, the way they inform each other now is very different than when they informed each other in the very beginning of my career. And the very beginning of my career was very much focused on mostly a singer. You know, I started as a classical singer before I even ever took an, I I didn't take any acting classes until I hit college. So I was very much a singer until then. Um, And then, you know, I I had a career as um, a musical theater performer, as an actress. Um, And it wasn't until, you know, I had the opportunities to start really exploring these other facets of my art where I was able to kind of cultivate more of an interdimensional identity. Um, And so I realized that in my directing, particularly, my experience as an actor really informed my choices as a director and how I worked as a director. And when it came to producing, I mean, it was more about like, this is the kind of stuff I want to do. And being producer, you get to make all the rules and all the decisions. (laughs) So that's kind of what informed that producer aspect. But I mean, also in terms of as a producer, I I like to take a very directorial stance as well and kind of, you know, have a vision about something. And um, hopefully if I'm working with, you know, if I'm not producing, directing something, if I'm just producing something, you know, find collaborators that really share that vision as well. And then jumping to the completely other side of your career history here, um, you actually went and pursued social work. So we would love to hear a little bit more about what made you pursue a career in social work. And can you tell us a bit more about your time working with LGBTQ youth? Sure. So what prompted my uh, kind of career in social work was uh, the beginning of my transition in 2008. Uh, there was very little to no representation in terms of trans people in show business, right? I think kind of the only kind of prominent representation that we had was Candace Kane on Dirty Sexy Money, where she played a recurring character. And that was, you know, and I think the mid 2000s, maybe 2006, 2007. And so uh, maybe a little earlier than that. So there was very, very, very little representation for trans people within show business. And even the roles that were coming up that were for like trans women or something, you know, were usually given to cis men who would put on a dress and a wig. And so we never got to tell our own stories. There was no space for us to be in these narratives. And when I transitioned, I realized that it, it almost meant sacrificing that career that I'd been working on for so long. So I thought, all right, what is something else that I want to be doing? And I had spent about two, two and a half years working at the Trevor Project. Um, and I started there as a volunteer counselor. And eventually at the end of my time there, I was associate manager of the New York 
call center because I just loved the organization. I loved what it stood for. I loved the work that they were doing. And because I was like, I'm not acting anymore. I can really dedicate my time to this cause, which also feels very, very important to me. And that really influenced my decision to want to pursue a social work degree. And so um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do the Trevor Project and go to grad school at the same time. So I had to leave the Trevor Project. And then while I was in my grad program, one of my placements was actually at the LGBT Center. So I still got to continue my work within the queer population, although it wasn't with youth anymore. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we also love the Trevor Project here. I mean, how yeah. can you not? How can you not? They're wonderful. They really, really are. Yeah. That's so cool. So what led you back to theater? Did I mean, yeah. I want to say that it's like, wow, everything changed. But yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's funny because it's like social work was almost just like a little like, like a little stepping stone to like what was coming next in my career. But I honestly thought, you know, I, I had left New York and I moved to California and I honestly thought that, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a social worker. You know, no one could foresee the kind of representation for trans folks that was going to happen, right? Um, and then in 2011, I got a phone call from one of my former castmates from Bombay Dreams, a show that I had done, like, oh, God, at this point, it's almost been 15 years. But, um, you know, I had done a show with them a few years earlier and um, they said, you know, they're on this TV show outsourced on NBC and they're looking for an Indian trans woman to play this role. Um, and of course, I recommended you. And I was like, thank you, you know. <laughs> um, and I had, you know, I had a couple auditions with NBC and a screen test and they hired me. And it wasn't until even, you know, I, I got a book to that job and I went to go shoot for a week. And it wasn't until after it aired that I really thought, wow, OK, I'm seeing myself on television. This must mean that. I don't have to give up what I've always really wanted to do, which is acting, which is being a part of show business. You know, I mean, as much as I love the social work, it wasn't in, it wasn't, it didn't feel like my purpose in life. Right. And when I saw myself reflected black back at me doing the thing that I love to do, it, it really kind of hit me like, I, I don't need to give up on this yet. I need to kind of keep pursuing it. And then, and then it was, I'm glad for the social work education and, and doing that and stuff, because I think particularly presently, right in this present day moment, like it has really informed my identity as an activist in, in recent years. Oh, that's awesome. Shifting gears, since the Broadway shutdown, you've been keeping really busy with doing online theater. Uh, and so you directed and produced an all-South Asian Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. Can you tell us more about the genesis of that and what it me meant to you to do it? Yeah. So um, actually, the the seedling for that came over a year ago when I saw Kenny Leon's production in Shakespeare in the Park last summer. Time. What is time? I think it was last <laughs> summer. Yeah. And, you know, um, my education with Shakespeare is very recent. It's only in the past five years or so. Um, it was very inaccessible to me. And so I didn't really fully understand the art or the language of Shakespeare until I had done the mobile unit for the public theater for Twelfth Night. And that's when not only my education with Shakespeare started, but my love of actually making Shakespeare accessible. Not my love of Shakespeare, but particularly my love of making Shakespeare accessible. Mm -hmm. And so I was very inspired by Kenny's production. And I realized that Much Ado, you know, has always been one of my favorites, um, that I wanted to somehow tell a very similar story, right? Like have representation but it not be about that representation, be it very much like we have these amazing actors on stage 
portraying this story that otherwise these actors would not get this opportunity to do. And I think about a week before the the Much Ado went live, I did an Instagram live and I talked to a couple of the actors from the reading and I, I asked them, you know, have you played this role before? What does it mean to you to play this role or to be a part of this production? And kind of across the board, they were all like, you know, if I've given the opportunity to do Shakespeare, it's always been like the best friend or this small character. It's like, it's never been the opportunity to play these kinds of roles, to be able to tell this story in this world. So for me, it was really important to have that perspective of like, you know, because for much, 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 almost all of my career, I've heard, Anish, you know, you're trans and you're Indian, you can't possibly play these roles. And so it's, I wanted to break that, you know, I wanted to break that barrier and be like, the, who says that I can't play these parts? Who says that my friends can't play these parts? Who says that these actors cannot play these parts? And so that was very much the impetus of why I wanted to do it. And I had actually planned for, and a, a workshop to happen in the spring of 2020. And then, you know, like many other people's projects all had to come to a screeching halt with the pandemic. Um, but I, you know, my creative juices were still flowing with it. You know, I was still in the mode of like, no, I, this is something that I've wanted to do. How do I make this right now? How do I at least continue the work that I'm doing on this um, during this pandemic? And it was actually kind of the first thing that I started working on after the pandemic happened, because for many weeks, I was kind of just in bed crying and sobbing for so much, you know, at the time yeah. of like, what is the state of the world? What is happening? Um, then I, 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 that was kind of the seedling for my inspiration to be like, okay, I can still create during this time. This is how I should create this is what I'm going to be doing. This I'm going to put this reading together. And I was very, very happy and lucky that my dream cast all said yes. And, um, and that, you know, that people are still talking about it today, you know, months later. And that makes me very, very happy that it means that much to people. So do you guys think when it's possible, you might try to do an in-person workshop? Yes. So the goal is that was just kind of a stepping stone of, and it was a cold read. You know, there was some of those actors were meeting each other for the very first time, you know? Um, so it was, it was more like a, okay, this is what I'm, I'm producing right now in this, in this realm. But once, you know, theater is safe to go back to, once we have access to the spaces and um, the safety protocols that we, we can, um, I very much want it to be a reality on stage one day. Do you guys already have, now I'm getting too deep into it. I just got to, <laughs> I'm like, I keep thinking about it. Do you already have like, um, have you talked to designers about it at all? Have you, do you have like any visual for like what it will eventually look like? Yeah. So Zaya Ali Khan is my director um, for this. And uh, we have, we, you know, we've been like, okay, we need, we need to talk about the reading, you know, and then so much just happened very quickly. You know, that, that was the end of May, you know, and the George Floyd pro protest started a few days after that. And so I think, you know, there was a lot more pressing things to both of us that we wanted to focus on. And so we've yet to kind of sit down and, and talk about the reading itself and what the future of the show is going to look like. But in my mind, in my ideal mind, you know, if anyone's ever watched a Bollywood movie, it's going to be as beautiful and epic as a Bollywood movie will be, <laughs> particularly, you know, um, one of the seedlings for why I wanted to do Much Ado, besides it being my favorite, is um, kind of the events around Hero's Wedding, you know, um, around 
the shame that she she has, you know, when people are accusing her of all these things. And that is very much a real thing in Indian society and in Indian culture, too. Right. You know, you see these these women kind of being put into these marriages and then, you know, the families don't like something about her so that they come up with, you know, some fantastical rumor to ruin her reputation. And it's like, you know, these honor killings and all of these, you know, kind of things that happen, not just in rural India, but also sadly in, you know, more developed parts of the nation, you know? Um, So that was a big seedling for why that story meant so much to me. And then kind of the rest of the pieces fell into place as I started to put together kind of, you know, a lot of it, someone said, said to me, they're like, wow, I, you know, much ado works so well in this world because it also does feel a little bit like a Bollywood movie. <laughs> I feel like we talk about Shakespeare a lot on this podcast, mostly for like, here's what we need to change. Yeah. And that, that's probably the best argument I've heard for doing much ado and <laughs> ever, maybe. Great, great, great. Yeah. Oh, I hope we get to see it one day. That's amazing. Hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of big Bollywood productions, um, Broadway touring seems like something that's like a fantasy that happened a long time ago now, but you were in Bombay Dreams on tour. Can you tell us a little bit more about the life of a touring actor and what it was like to be in that production? Oh, goodness. The life of, well, so this is this is the perspective of an actor who toured 15 years ago, and I have not been on tour since that show, so I, I'm sure things have changed. Um, but I, I bet one thing that hasn't changed is kind of like you're living out of suitcases. You know, that was a year on the road. And so you're you're living out of suitcases for an entire year. You know, they give you a trunk that they ship for you, but you still got your own suitcases. And, you know, you're in a place for two, three weeks or a month. And so you settle in and you make your place as, as homey as you possibly can. And um, you really have to learn to adapt, you know, because you're you're in a new place, a new city, a new room. Um, the, and the one thing for me that really was wonderful was the consistency of the show every night, right? It's like, no matter what theater we're in, no matter what city we're in, no matter what hotel I'm sleeping in, I knew that when I walked through the stage door of whatever theater I was in, that I was going to be doing the exact same thing that I've been doing every single night, eight times a week. Um, and that consistency felt very grounding for me. It felt very much like this is something that I can ground myself in, even if there's all this other thing or all this other change around me that's happening. I know that I can ground myself in my work and the reason that I'm on this, on the road with this show. Hmm. Did you get to connect with any uh, like queer or trans communities while you were traveling? We didn't connect with any queer or trans communities while we were traveling, sadly. We did connect with um, a big South Asian population when we were in Houston, Texas, and in Dallas, actually, in both of those those cities. It was, it was very interesting. Also, um, it was very interesting to see the reception of the show in Toronto, which has a huge South Asian population versus the rest of the tour. I think there was 31 cities, 32 cities, something like that. I forget how many cities it was, but um, maybe it wasn't that many, but Toronto was very interesting because the majority of our audiences were South Asian and the way that they responded to certain elements of the show was surprising to us, particularly because that was month like seven or eight, you know, that we were on the road. So we were so used to doing the show in a certain way, so used to hearing laughs at a certain point. And then, you know, it, it, then you get to this point uh, where you, you people are reacting in completely different ways. And it you're like, wait a second, is this, am I in the same show? What is happening here? Very strange. It was wow. very, very strange. Yeah. Huh. 
Well, speaking of like different reactions to audiences or relationships to audiences, um, you recently started a YouTube vlog. <laughs> um, you found that, I see. <laughs> I did. I, I just watched your uh, Switch unboxing and I also recently got a Switch and it just like brought all that joy back. <laughs> the best. It's the best. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but how has like the online queer community influenced how and what you're creating with this new uh media venture? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been like specifically, I'm trying to think of like queer YouTubers that have really influenced me, but I think it's just YouTubers in general. It's the attitude of folks that are on there who are creating their own work for their set from, for themselves. You know, it's, it's not about, you know, for consumerism or for capitalism or it's, it's like, this brings me joy. This is the content that I want to be making and seeing that kind of, you know, having the ability to control that and control like what kind of voice that you are putting out that nobody else has a say in is, was really powerful for me. And I think that's a big reason of why I started one. Do you do all your own editing? Cause it's great. I, Oh, thank you. I do do my own editing. You know, it's like hours of final cut pro, but <laughs> I get it done. <laughs> I know we just do audio. So I'm like, I really appreciate having to do video and audio. To be. Hey, and also I appreciate getting a look inside the natural history museum. Cause I probably haven't been there in like 10 or 12 years either. So yeah. it's like, you know, I, I kind of failed on that video and, and folks who are maybe listening to this and then also saw that video or go back and watch that video. It, ends very abruptly and, and and I realized after I posted I was like I probably should have given an explanation as why is because you know I hadn't visited the museum in 17 years and my perspective as an individual has changed so walking through that museum and seeing all these things it was like I was more questioning the existence of the museum itself rather than you know like enjoying my visit there which was hugely telling to me as, you know, and that's why I was, at one point, my friend and I, we were walking around. I was like, I'm just not going to film any, like, why do I want to film any of this stuff right now? And I was like, I probably should have explained that in the video, but I didn't. So hopefully people who are listening to this will, will now know why that video went so abruptly. I think it came across. I thought that that was the point I got. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. Okay. It was an artistic way of storytelling. There you go. (laughs) So congratulations on receiving the HRC Visibility Award. That was incredible. It was great to see your speech from there. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that award means to you? Yeah, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, Gosh, I mean, for so long, and, you know, I still still deal with this now, you know, um, I think there is very, very, very little representation for South Asian folks in show business and even less for queer South Asian folks and even less for trans South Asian folks, you know? And so for, for all of my career, I've kind of been fighting against, you know, the lack of opportunity to, to have that representation, the lack of space to really present myself as part of that representation. Um, And particularly when I got the, the the email and the phone call about that award, I was, it, it, it literally took, I had, I, I thought it was a joke because I was in the midst of having these conversations with friends with like, you know, I had just come off of Jessica Jones and Jessica Jones had just aired and, and I wasn't booking any work and I wasn't going on any auditions. And I was like, I, I don't understand, you know, I've, I've done this, this thing that, that supposedly is, is so amazing. You know, I've done this role in this show in this, 
you know, well-known world. And, you know, I've, I've done the things that actors are supposed to do in order to further their careers. Why is this not happening for me? And then I got this email and this phone call. And, you know, of course, those issues are still happening. You know, it's still very much like, how do I continue to get more visibility? How do I continue to work? How do I continue to be a part of narratives that are coming out? Um, but for me, getting that in that moment definitely felt like a validation of the work that I had been doing. I need to keep doing, you know, that it, there are people who see me and there are people who support me and there are people who want me to keep going. And, and that that's that's what it meant for me, you know. Yeah. And kind of flipping the visibility around have there, what kind of theater artists have made you feel seen and represented? Oh gosh. I would say my community, my community of, you know, um, before, so I'm, I'm a native New Yorker and then I moved away, you know, for my social work days and, and then I got married and then I got a divorce and I moved back to New York right when Southern Comfort happened, when I did Southern Comfort in early 2016. And up until that point, you know, I did not know other trans artists. You know, I was living off of an army base in Seattle or outside of Seattle and commuting to Seattle to do, try to find whatever artistic work I could. Mm -hmm. But even Seattle's artistic community was very lacking of trans representation. So I did not know a lot of queer and trans artists, like singers, actors, directors, producers. And so when I moved back to New York and, you know, started getting more involved with the community and meeting people through my experience with Southern Comfort and through my experience with other works, um, it my own community of artists became very inspiring to me because of the work that they had been doing, that they continue to do. Um, and they continue to, to be so inspiring to me, you know, even as we all are growing in the levels that we are in our careers, it's, it's, we still look to each other as inspiration and be like, okay, what, what, how do we have these conversations? What do we do in this instance? You know, how do we lift each other up in these places? So. Are there other examples of queer theater that you, the representation that you want to see? <sighs> you know, I just did a podcast with Lisa Crone the other day and I'm just like, can Fun Home just be like, <laughs> like Lame Miz, you know, like, can it just be the perpetual show that everyone just keeps doing? Um, Fun Home was just a very huge, impactful experience for me, you know, um, watching it and seeing that kind of story being told um it, it you know it just it, it it and then knowing that it went on the road and the kind of effect that it had on on the road it was just yeah that fun home has always been very impactful for me as a as a piece of theater same i was gonna say we don't even try to bring up fun home and it still comes up i love it and lisa is just i mean so incredibly smart so just mm -hmm. so incredibly smart. I would have loved to see the the production in the Philippines with Leia Salonga. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, gosh. Amazing. The things that need to happen here in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm going to try not to fangirl too much on this because I've <laughs> been doing a lot of Marvel watching during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but you played a reoccurring character on season three of Jessica Jones. And I think this is right. The first openly trans character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is that right? Uh, I, you know maybe I'm not sure, you know, I know that there, there have, you know, MJ Rodriguez and Shakina mm-hmm. Napak have both been on Marvel shows before. Um, and you know, while I was filming that and when I was giving these interviews during these press conferences while shooting, I, it never occurred to me that these headlines would come out. So I was mm-hmm. actually very surprised to hear that knowing that, you know, cause I, I know both MJ and Shakina personally, like knowing that they had done this work. So it was very shocking to me. I think, the true part of that statement is that I'm the first recurring trans character. Okay. Um, I, in the script itself, Jillian is written as, like it says, Jillian, a trans woman, um, Jessica's assistant. Um, I'm not sure Frankie, the character that Shakina Nafak played, I'm not sure what the actual breakdown is. I, if I'm correct, I don't believe that it was specifically written for a trans actress to play. Um, Shakina, as brilliant as she is, just happened to book that role, you know? Um, and so I, I, I think the true part of that statement is that, yes, I played the first recurring trans character, but I'm not sure about the rest of that statement. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know how media loves to twist everything, and yeah. particularly when it comes to our community and pitting us against one another. This is actually <laughs> true. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so speaking of something that could end up that way, um, this past January, Marvel announced that they are planning on creating a transgender superhero in the near future. And, you know, I am so optimistic, but we'll see what happens. But yeah. if, <laughs> if you could the superhero what kind of story would you want to create for them oh god something with a lot of joy a lot of joy you know i think that we have had a lot of shows that are representative of our community and i think a lot of those shows while have had the benefits of having trans folks as part of their teams have still ultimately been in the hands of cis people and the way those stories have been told tend to gravitate a lot towards kind of what we think is trans trauma porn. You know, it's like we want to see the pain that trans people have gone through to become themselves. I want to see the joy. I want to see the celebration because that's the reality, right? Like when we come out and we find our true identities and who we really are, it's a joy. You know, we we have that trauma that we've processed and we've grieved and we've dealt with, but the majority of our lives are joyful because we are celebrating our existence and choosing to really be authentic to ourselves and who we are. And so whatever story they choose to tell, you know, I mean, if it's written by cis people, I'm sure there's going to be like a trans storyline in there. Like this character's trans, look at how awful her life was, you know? Um, And I think that, yes, we need to give 
attention to our history. And I think it's really important to to have those stories as exist because that is part of our history. But I also want to see alongside of that, like equal amounts, if not more amounts of joy and celebration. Definitely. I hope Marvel gets that note. Yeah, I hope so. Marvel, are you listening? We'll tag them. Girl Jillian. <laughs> Well, speaking of joy, uh, your film, First One In, recently came out, which looks so fun. Um, can you tell us more about your work on it and where listeners can watch it? Yeah, that was such a fun movie. That was <laughs> that was such a fun movie. It, we shot it over, God, like 35 days out in Long Island last summer. Again, what is time? Um, <laughs> so yeah, summer of 2019 feels like forever ago. Um, and we had a really, really wonderful time. Um, it, the, the set... And the team was very femme heavy. So we all, you know, it was just, there. there's something different, you know, when you take a lot of that mask energy out of the room, you know, you just, the, the environment becomes totally different. Um, and, you know, the, the film itself is is very reliant, you know, on the narratives of these femme people, right? Like the, there's, there's, there's not a lot of masculine energy that's kind of roaming through the, the, the show. It definitely passes the Bechdel test. Let's say that. Um, <laughs> So I, it it was a lot of fun. I met, you know, so many wonderful actors. I mean, actors that I respect from television, like Kathy Curtin and Emmy Colagato and Karina Arroyave. And um, then there was Broadway ladies that I met, like Betsy Wolf is in it, you know, and Amanda Jane Cooper and Julia Murney. And so it was because we shot here in the New York City area, the the, you know, the director and the producers had the ability to hire these actresses who do all of these kinds of work. Um, so it was really wonderful to to meet these women that I've known about and I've watched on the stage or watched on the screen and then to be a part of this film with them. Um, and it's on Amazon Prime. And I believe it's also on iTunes and Google Store. Definitely on Amazon Prime, though. I've watched about eight times, so... <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's very funny. It's very funny. That's what we need right now. Also, I'm like more comedies, yeah. bring them more on. Com- Just something to laugh, right? I mean, I've been watching these hearings for the past three days. So I'm definitely going to turn on a comedy yeah. later. Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> yeah. Well, we already talked about this a little bit when you were talking about how a lot of your peers have um, become your community and who you turn to for representation. Is there anything else you would like to share about how you found queer community in theater or maybe in areas uh, where we need to see it grow more? Um, I think where where I've seen it happen is when queer people take control of the narratives and the spaces. I worked on a piece with Kit Yan and Melissa Yee, um, Melissa Yee earlier this year, and it was called Misstep. Again, time feels like January was another year, two <laughs> years ago. Um, but, you know, there was so many, you know, the cast was predominantly queer and trans. And being in a room and creating art and having, you know, the majority of your team queer and trans just felt like the level of conversation and work started at a different place than when you are like, you know, as many of us are tokenized in these rooms, you know, um, it started at a completely different level, the conversations, the type of work that we were producing, because we had a general understanding of who we were as people. And we didn't have to come into a room explaining our identities before we got to the work. It was just about the work. Um, and so where the industry can grow is I think 
really providing and not just doing it for like performative allyship reasons, but really actually providing the space and the resources both equally to queer and trans theater makers, to queer and trans artists to create the narratives themselves and to have control over these narratives rather than saying, we're the cis theater company. We want to hire trans people to do the work that we want to do rather than being like, what is the work? What is the stories that you want to tell? And I think that's, you know, if we look outside of our trans community, but we've within our trans community, um, and I think I kind of mentioned this earlier, right? Like that the industry has a way of pitting us against one another. And I think that sometimes we all get caught up in that, right? Because it's like, even for Jillian, when I went out for Jillian and Jessica Jones, it's like you see all of your friends at the same auditions, even if it's not right, you know? It's just like, let's just call all the trans people. And I think that there's a benefit to that in that like, we need to get trans actors seen. We need to get them in, in more rooms and give them more opportunities. But then I think we also need to go a step further and be like very specifically like, so we know as a community that you know what you're talking about, you know, <laughs> that it's not just like, we just want to call everybody, but that you specifically know the narratives that you are trying to tell. Um, and in that, and reflected back at us, is that like, we as actors have to know that, that that's what we're dealing with on the industry side. So we can't get caught up in pitting ourselves against each other. You know, it's like, if the industry doesn't even know really what they're looking for or how to do it, there's no way that we can sit here and kind of like compete with each other. We need to kind of support each other and lift each other up there. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to throw this question in, but are there other projects that you're working on with your community or like producing that you want to shout out or we should keep an eye out for? Um, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to produce next virtually. You know, I, I, my YouTube channel started and I was like, that's the content I'm going to do now. So I, I haven't really, um, two, I have to shout out to two folks who have kind of been my muses as, as I'll, I'll put it, um, throughout this whole pandemic in terms of, uh, you know, the kind of work I've run created is L. Morgan Lee, um, who, if you don't know who she is, look her up. Um, and the other, my other friend is Jordan Ho. Um, and the two of them have really been artistic muses for me and really kind of conceptualizing the kind of things that I want to be producing right now virtually, you know, because not saying that it's easy produ to produce virtually, but it's a lot easier than producing in person, right? It's like you send an email, you ask a couple of folks to be a part of a reading for one night and, you, you know, you do that. Um, and so I haven't really figured out what I want to be doing next, but I, I certainly look to them and I'm in conversations with them about the kind of things that they'd like to be doing. And hopefully I'll have something planned soon. Jordan and I, um, were double cast in the same role, uh, working with Honest Accomplice Theater. And, oh, yeah. uh, we had a lot of fun with how we have completely different gender presentations and uh, I call, uh, I call them, them butch and they call me femme and uh, auto autocorrect uh, usually changes butch to bitch, which is unfortunate, <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> I had no idea that, that, about that story. Wow. That's so funny. <laughs> Um, so we, we come to our part of the podcast we call Queering the Canon. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of problematic representations of South Asian folk in theater or like cast as South Asian folk problematically. Um, is there a specific instance of that you'd like to change and queer or just throw it out completely? I mean, I just think we need more of it. You know, mm -hmm. I think 
in general, representation needs to be more varied. I'm trying to stay away from the word diverse because I feel like diversity tends to be such a like a a word that white folks have been using to diversify their spaces. It's like we have a white space. We need to diversify our spaces. We need to bring in other people in. When I like to think of as varied, it feels less like, you know ownership of, of whiteness. So I think our spaces need to be more varied. I think as a whole, we need to really start seeing representations of uh, disabled folks, you know, of more representations of queerness, you know, not just along the binary and the same within trans representation. We don't need just trans representation that's on, like b- binary. We need to see the spectrum of what queerness is. So mm-hmm. that for sure. Awesome. Let it be so. Let it be so. Let's hope. Let's hope. (laughs) So besides all the digital theater that you've been creating and consuming and uh, your movie, which you've watched seven or eight times, which is great. (laughs) I can't wait to do the same thing. Um, What has been your queer culture indulgence during pandemic? What have you you been reading, listening to, watching that you would recommend? I mean, I've just been watching everything. (laughs) I've just been... (laughs) Whatever's on Netflix, whatever's on Hulu, whatever. I mean, I'm a news junkie, so particularly the last month and a half, all that's really been on my television is CNN. (laughs) I I will admit that, that it's just just been a lot of CNN and ABC news because I tend to be a news junkie. And, you know, particularly in recent weeks, the news has been... Don't want to look away. Yeah, yeah, it's and, you know, people are like, you need a break. You need to take some time away. I'm like, I know I do, but it's an addiction. I'm admitting it. (laughs) I, you know, I I just can't take my eyes away from it. I watch and I'm, and I I get FOMO, right? Like if I turn off the news for one minute, I'm like, what I miss? What happened? What else is, what else is burning? (laughs) Well, so much is happening in in one day. Totally. Yeah, it makes sense. So much. You're like afraid that you'll miss the big thing if you aren't paying attention. I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I watched the the helicopter take off and the helicopter land and all of that. It just, yeah. (laughs) Nightmares. 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 (laughs) Really the stuff of nightmares. Ooh. Oh, all right. Well, shifting over to queer gives. Uh, yes. Yeah, which is definitely needed right now. Um, uh, you wanted to shout out South Asians for Black Lives Matter. And I, the, yeah, and the Black Trans Femmes in the Arts. Absolutely. Yeah, both of those organizations are very near and dear to my heart. I'm not involved in either of them. Um, they just mean a lot to me, particularly South Asians uh, for Black Lives Matter. Um, there is a lot of stigma around colorism and anti-Blackness within the South Asian community. And I think that needs to be said loudly. And I think that it needs, you know, there needs to be, there needs, it needs to be said because I think a lot of people within the South Asian community are scared of having the conversation around anti-Blackness. And what South Asians need to learn is we need to step up. You know, we have benefited from whiteness, from our proximity to whiteness from anti-Blackness in this country. And I think that it's time that we step up and we really lend whatever we have to the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, South Asians for Black Lives Matter is a wonderful website that has a list of resources, um, organizations you can donate to, even education materials. So if, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of just coming to this and being like, how can I help? What do I need to learn? It has all of that information on there as well. Yeah, that's great. I think yeah. East Asians have the same issues and have benefited benefited even more from like the model minority myth. And yeah, right. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. We'll link to all that in our show notes so everyone can go and check it out and support. Yeah. Awesome. So last but not least, how can we follow you? How can our listeners follow you online? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. I, uh, Anish the Actress. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Anish Chef Acts. And then you can just kind of, everything is also linked on my official website, which is anishchef.com. Super easy. Everything like my YouTube channel, my IMDb, all of, all of the socials, they're all on there. It's a great place of all the information. And awesome. people, yeah, you want to check out the YouTube. I highly recommend. It's, <laughs> it is such a moment of joy every week. Really oh, appreciate that. I, I missed a video this week, but there's there's a really great video that I'm excited to share with everyone next week. So stay tuned. Awesome. Sure. And so wait. many dog cameos. It's so great. many dog cameos. Yeah. Ella's always got to be in the video. Ella. <laughs> so cute. Thank you. Oh, thank goodness for dogs during a pandemic. That's oh, all I have right? to say. Seriously. Oh. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to share, Anish, before we wrap up? I just want everyone to vote. I just want to remind everyone to vote. I know that we're all exhausted. We are all so tired, but we have to keep going. We have to make sure that we vote. We get out there. We make our voices heard. And we we do everything we can to really kind of change course in this country. Um, and, and in doing so, also stay as safe and healthy as you can because we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. So mm -hmm. we can't forget that. And, you know, taking precautions as you do and go vote and really kind of taking care of your health first and foremost. Go get tested for COVID. Go get tested for COVID. If you live in New York City, it's free. So just go get tested as often as you want. Um, it's important that people are taking care of their health and their minds. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate the conversation and for having me. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We were so excited to have you on. Uh, we we watched uh, Masculinity Max early this summer, and it was so much fun. And I love yeah, that show so much. I love that. That show is so near and dear to my heart. I love that. And everyone involved in it. Yeah. Thank you for watching it. Yeah. yeah, it was such a great cast. All of you guys were just like, I, I want to, again, another thing I want to see in the real world eventually. Yeah. So, fingers well, crossed. Yeah, I mean, we did a production of it at the public a couple years ago. And I mean, I've I've lived with that character Tamila for five years now. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm still hoping that we still get to do it because I just love playing her and I love telling that story. And I think it's, it's, it's very important. Cool. Well, thank you again. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us and share us with your friends. We'd love to hear from you if you have any queer culture recommendations or other ideas about how to queer the canon. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251 or email us at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. And you can follow us on social. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thesisonjoan. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. <laughs>
Yeah, the plumber is back. Sorry about this, Anish. Did not okay. know this was happening today. It's totally okay. <laughs> Surprise. Um, Holly, maybe you just want to do the intro and sure. go from there. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.